I'm, I'm teaching uh, equations that bring total restoration from the understanding uh, that God really wants you to have joy in your relationship with him. How, does anybody have joy in your relationship with the Lord Jesus? He'd really like you to have joy. By the way, it's so good to have Kelly. The, the Walters family. Where's your daughter at? She's upstairs. Okay, so it's so good to have the Walters back with us. You know, I know I, they're just here temporarily. I know she's got to fly back tomorrow, right? But uh, love you so much. Uh, I know you've been through a journey while you've been through a way. Our hearts are always connected to yours. Would you welcome the Walters home? Would you welcome them? Shoot. I, I married you all over at Botanical Gardens, seems like yesterday. And uh, look at you guys. I love you. Okay, you ready for the word? So here's, here's that Psalm 51 and 12. It's that moment in David's psalm. Would you read it? Can you see it? Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So restore to me the joy of my salvation, but I want it sustained. Does anybody get that? I want it sustained. I uh, this up and down and in and out and back and forth. Anybody ever been tired of that? Have you ever been there in your faith? I, I want the joy of my salvation. So we've walked through uh, uh, some avenues, some teachings on that. You can go back and, and uh, catch those. Today, uh, I want you to be free from shame. Somebody say free from shame. <clears throat> and read the scripture with me, Romans ten eleven. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I, uh, I don't know how this sermon is going to come out. I, I'm not sure I ever know how they're going to come out. <laughs> I, uh, you just have to trust the Lord. And uh, this week, I, I almost had such a good time studying when I had that chance that uh, I just... I don't know, some people think that, you know, preparing a sermon is like, you got to go, and today's job is to prepare a sermon. But it's really to be in the presence of the Lord, and to hear from Him. And so, in it, I just enjoyed it. Anybody read the Bible? Anybody have a Bible, and you read those things? They are so good. All right, if you're looking for a good book, try the Bible. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bestseller. Uh, Really, lots of movies been made of, but the book is much better than the movies. So, this message is crazy. I'm just I'm going to share the word of God with you, and some of you will love it. Some of you will struggle with it. Last week, um, I paused in John chapter twenty uh, and verse twenty-one. Uh, Jesus said to them, "Now this is this is." After the resurrection, the disciples are afraid. They're hiding behind closed doors. Jesus, you know, we were singing reckless love. No wall he won't kick down. Sometimes he don't even kick down the wall. He just appears on the other side of it, which is what he does here. You think, I'm, I'm by myself now. And Jesus appears to them behind closed doors. And he, first of all, he says, peace to you. He blesses them. That's what that is. So when you're saying peace to you, you're giving away blessings. So I just bring peace, the shalom of God to you. And he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Anybody get that? So this is, he's saying, okay, everything, all that discipleship stuff I did for you, now 
You're going to have to, you're, you're going to get the opportunity to go and I'm going to work through your lives. And when he said this, he breathed on them. And in his breathing, this is what he breathed to them. It's almost a whisper. He says, uh, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And he, so he's saying, here's the power that I'm giving you, forgiveness. You can actually forgive one another. What? Isn't that amazing? Some people say, well, I can't. You, you skip the breathing part. Okay. You skip the breathing. He says, I want you to receive the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to walk in forgiveness. It's going to be the great sign. Some people think, oh, I want to move in signs and wonders. Well, if you haven't moved in the sign of forgiveness, the rest is secondary. All right? Wow. This is their salvation. That's really what this is, though. This is their salvation, and it changes everything. Uh, and, and so they're going to get this after I, and I was just laying in the Lord and looking at this, and then uh, I just picked up my Bible, and I read the entire chapter of Romans. And it's, oh, it's nice because you read the whole chapter of Romans. Stop letting the devil whisper to you, okay? It's only 16 little chapters. It's not even a short story, okay? Say, I couldn't read the whole book. Read it. In fact, I would like you this week, just read the whole uh, letter of Romans. It's a letter is what it is. It's one of the epistles of Paul. And uh, just just laid it and enjoyed it again. Anybody ever done that? Like uh, this past Christmas, I got a bunch of old photo albums. And I just went back through them. I'm looking through them. And that's how it felt as I was just reading back slowly, reading to myself the book of Romans like it was a letter to me. And uh, I'm not, I'm not going to read the always. Oh, he's going to read all of Romans. I'm going I'm to pick some uh, because we're, we're going to talk from this topic today of being free of shame. But unless you get some of this, you're going to miss it. So there is therefore, this is Romans 8 verse 1. There is, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There, how much condemnation is for, in those who are in Christ Jesus? How much? Zero. How many ever feel condemned? Okay, so if you're in Christ Jesus, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Why? I don't get that. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. That is so good. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. So, so you're not, listen, you are not living by the law of sin and death. You're supposed to live by the law of the spirit of life. I have to do something about the sinful nature. That's what I got to do. My sinful nature is just creeping me out. It's that, you know, some people are concerned about this whole teaching because Romans, you know, that, that Romans 5 teaching, uh, anybody been there? I, what I don't want to do, that's what I do. And what I do do, that's not what I really want to do. Who will deliver me? And I'm in conflict and I need a new spirit. Uh, Jesus go, or Paul goes on, he says, He condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. 
So laws. Everybody say laws. Anybody ever heard of laws? There are laws that you live by whether you know it or not. You are sitting down rather than floating around because of the law of gravity. Say, I don't believe in the law of gravity. Doesn't matter. You're still sitting down, all right? Some of us have more gravity than we want. This law is a spiritual one. It's the law of we are born into sin and we are going to die. That's the law. You're born into sin and sin causes death. That was the law. And Jesus came and established a new law. It's the law of spirit, the law of the spirit and life by the spirit. It's a law. You got that? It's a law that by the Spirit I can live. Now some of you are stuck in the law of sin and death. And you live that way. I, I blew it, I'm going to die. That's what life is about. Here I am, I live, and then I die. Everybody dies, and we have funerals for people. I mean, tomorrow I'll do my third funeral in a week. All right, And uh, people die, but I, we don't do funerals like everybody else does funerals. We worship Jesus. Oh, man. In fact, was, uh, I'm, I'm going to give him credit today. This will be my own later. I, in fact, I told him from the pulpit yesterday. I, Prentice, a Baptist pastor here in town, Prentice McGoldrick. Isn't that the greatest name? You know, I just love it. Prentice McGoldrick. I wonder what his nationality is. And, uh, but he was talking about death, and he made the statement, and I just loved it. He made the statement. He said, death is a rescue he loves you so much that he comes and gets you and takes you to himself. John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and get you. And I'll bring you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. It's a rescue. You say, no, he died. If you're in Christ, not living by the law of sin and death, but living by spirit in life, then it's a loving rescue. What? Okay, so. What? <laughs> Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what nature or what that nature desires. So if you live according to the sinful nature, your mind is set on what kind of mess you can do. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. That's my problem! What? Why am I always committing sin? Because you're living according to the law of the sinful nature. But when you live according to the law of the Spirit of life, then your mind gets renewed, and you're thinking, what can I do for Jesus today? How can I glorify God with my life? And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. That's not like people say, you don't belong, I don't belong to Christ. Here's the deal. When you accept Jesus, when you confess the Lord with your mouth and believe that God has raised him from the dead, the concept is not that you just do that religiously, but the spirit of Christ comes and lives inside of you. And then you live by that spirit. The mind, control, the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. How many have lived both ways? Anybody done that before? And the sinful man is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, verse 9, 
are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is already dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So if my, if, if my body, if I'm dead, how am I still alive? Because the spirit of Christ gives life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who lives in you. Anybody loves this? Here's the great message of it all in Romans 8 two: Through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Do you get that? Read it with me. Through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So, so the law of the Spirit gives life, so sin does not have authority over you, specifically the sin that you were born into and the sin that you have committed in the past no longer condemns you. Romans also tells us that the resurrection of Christ, I was reading this, I just love this. The re- resurrection of Christ brings justification to me. Does anybody understand that? Is that like, don't be theological, don't be deep, please, please, pastor, keep it thin today. Here it is, okay? So Jesus, sin was placed on Jesus and he died, okay? So now my sins are forgiven. But when Christ rose from the dead, are, are our sins still on him? No. Sin died, and then Christ rose. So when you look at Christ now, do you see sin, or do you see as if he had never sinned before? You see what I'm saying? So the resurrection of Christ says to us that when we give our lives to Jesus, when we confess Christ and he comes into our life, our sinful man dies. And then we are raised to newness of life. And that means I look like I have never sinned before. Justification. You get that? Anybody? Somebody shout hallelujah. Would you do that? Somebody shout hallelujah. I just needed a hallelujah right there. So So this subject is a problem because for so many, because Paul was dealing here with Jewish Christians who believed that they were still under the law. And here's the problem. Paul explains it. In Romans, he says, the law only identifies sin. It doesn't fix it. You get that? All the law does is identify, doesn't fix it. And and this strikes me because some of us are still trying to be free from the law of sin and death by simply not committing sin. Just because you're not sinning does not mean that you're free from the law of sin and death. You're not doing any more than those who simply intend to keep the law but still have not accepted the law of life through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so there are people who are Christians who come to church who worship, who are, who are still experienced or not experienced the rescued life. We're actual, we actually are still living by the power of sin rather than the power of the Spirit and still doing good things. Do you want this depth of teaching today? Factually, you live a pretty good life. The problem is, is that we confess our sins and believe that Jesus died for us and you just have no idea what it means or how to appropriate it. So, all right, so uh, this is, uh, I got this out of my wife's purse. It's, uh, it's antibacterial hand gel. I touched some of you today. So, 
going to use some of this. How many have some of this in your, how many people have some of this in your hands? So, uh, or in your pocket, in your, if, if it's for me, it's like in my wife's pocket. I believe in this stuff. Can I get an amen from someone who believes in it? I, uh, it's, it's kind of, anybody ever go to a hospital? You know what's in hospitals? Germs are in hospitals. So they have those little antibacterial stations. I hit two or three of them before I leave the place. I have no problem wearing a mask to come and see you or a gown for visitations. But, but if I use my germ-killing lotion and do nothing else, if I use my germ-killing lotion but I still eat wrong, if I use my germ-killing lotion but I never exercise, listen, your heart doesn't care whether or not you have germs or not. Cholesterol don't care. Come on, somebody preach with me. There's, there's a lot of sickness in the church sometimes, and we teach. I will teach you to change your habits. The scripture teaches this. A, a habit change without a heart change is just living by the law of sin and death. All you're doing is walking around and put a little antibacterial soap on your hands on occasion. I'm going to stop lying because lying will cause you to go to hell. Well, I'm glad you're not lying. You need an internal transformation. Even, even learning church culture. Anybody grow up in church besides me? I know how to look like I am saved. I know how to dance, lift my hands. Somebody say amen in this house right now. Come on, let's say, love, lift. I know all the hymns. I don't even have... I know what page numbers they were on. I don't even have to look at the book to sing, I'm redeemed by love, divine glory, glory, Christ is mine, all to him. I know I'll fly away, and I know when we all get to heaven, I can sing, just as I am without. I, can, I know all of them. I don't even have to look at the wall to sing. I don't, I don't have to. And sometimes we're so busy teaching church culture that we have church kids growing up who have not been set free by the spirit of life. Am I right? I mean, have you talked to your kids about what it means to have a spirit change? I mean, really, the spirit of Christ. If Jesus wants to come to our heart, I don't understand that. He wants by his spirit to come inside of you. Because we were born, and sometimes we like to do wrong things, and we, we sin, but he wants to come inside of us by his spirit. Does that make sense to anybody in the house? I don't know if it does. I'm going to keep preaching. So, The transformation of our hearts by the spirit is what we must have. Come, Holy Spirit. Give me a witness that I am a child of God. Breathe on me, Jesus. I want to do well and not sin, but I need your spirit inside of me to lead me into eternal ways. My sinful nature must die. My spirit must come alive. And we know that when we accept Christ and the spirit of Christ actually dwells in us and says, you are a child of God, we know that life is different then. Amen? Amen. We need Jesus. Somebody shout out, we need Jesus. Jesus. And we need to stop pretending. Come on, how many have ever pretended before? Anybody besides me? Anybody ever pretended? Wave at me. Only five of us? The rest of you are pretending right now. <laughs> Rather than dealing with sin, we end up just covering it up. We do not steal, but we despise our neighbor and covet their belongings. 
We do not commit adultery, but we lust constantly and live lives filled with godless desires, and we live in shame. Even in our faith, we believe in the cross, but we don't let the cross do its work in our lives. And Romans 6 suggests another struggle in that people now and in our culture live in sin because they say grace abounds. And it's true. How many thank God for His grace? But if you're saved, you're saved by grace through Jesus and the Spirit of Christ comes and lives in us. That's why the Bible says if you're, if you're saved by grace, then the Spirit of Christ lives in you and you live by the Spirit. The transition is that now we, we live by the law of the Spirit of Christ, not the law of sin and death. That's why the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So I'm, I'm going to show you how this works in this teaching on being free. Somebody shout, free from shame. Free from shame. Free from shame. So... Uh, I, my, my little brother's not here, but I want to say happy birthday to my youngest brother, Kelly. Uh, today is his 49th birthday. Can't wait for the next one. <laughs> 49th birthday. And uh, he, he is, he's a man of God, loves God, serves God. He and his wife love God. Kids loves God. And he just had a new grandson. I have a new great nephew. Wow. Uh, and they kind of named him after me. They named him Maverick. So, it's sort of named after me. Um, but if, if he was here, he, he could testify to this. But Kelly's not a preacher, okay? That's not what he is. I'm a preacher, he, it, but, you know, I don't twist his arm to do all of that. But, but one of the things that he struggled with in his early life was his identity. If you talk to him, he'd probably tell you that much of it had to do with his self-identity. Who am I? Uh, and out of that, he struggled a great deal with his life because he had you know, a birth father that struggled severely with alcoholism, a birth mother that was a drug addict. He had, that was his birth parents. But his, his, uh, his parents, who are, you know, my mom and dad is his mom and dad now uh, because when he was just six months old, he came into our home. And uh, out of that, he kind of struggled with an identity issue. And because, you know, just beginning to embrace. I mean, you know, sometimes we struggle with our identity with the Lord Jesus. Anybody understand that? Like I've been, I've been a sinner all my life. I don't get this. You know, you come to church, you pray a little bit, and go on about your life. I love the reality that people have been changed. Anybody like that? That people's identity can actually be changed. The Bible is filled with these stories. I love Paul's testimony. He writes to his son Timothy, his spiritual son Timothy, all right? In 1 Timothy 1 and 12, he says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. How's that for an identity? change. In verse 15 he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. You got that? Paul the apostle says he came to save sinners. I'm the worst. I'm the, I was like in the head of the line. I was the head of my sinner class. I did sin better than anybody else. A blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. I love that. 
Anybody ever read the book of Acts? How many have ever read Acts before? You should read it all the way through. Just sit down and read it all the way through because you're going to hear one life story right after another, a life change. And Acts 16 is that story of the jailer. Anybody remember that? Paul and Silas have been beaten. They're in the inner chamber. And so it's nighttime. They're sore. Nobody can sleep. They decide they'll worship the Lord Jesus. They start singing songs. And while they're singing, the jailhouse rocks. This is a long time before Elvis and uh, the chains break, the door swing open, the jailer decides he's just going to take his own life and uh, because as far as he's concerned, he's living by the law of sin and death. Uh, if these guys have, uh, have escaped, then he's going to be killed himself anyway. And Paul and Silas say, hey, I know the doors are open, but we didn't leave. We had some business. And... Uh, they say, do yourself no harm. And then they, he begins to ask him. The jailer starts asking what's going on. And verse 31, uh, they tell him, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your whole household. And I'm thinking, why is that true? Why is that true? Uh, in, in the same way that you get curses from previous generations because they never got set free, you also get blessings from previous generations. But if your, if your family took you to church, but you never got set free, and you never saw them free, does that make sense to you? And you end up not being able to talk to each other, your, your life is a mess, and you're broken, and then I sit down and say, well, tell me about your Christian mom and dad. Well, come to find out they weren't Christians after all. They just took you to church. And y'all got baptized. Because we had a baptism ceremony. Am I making sense to anybody? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and you and your household. He says, when I start pouring my spirit into you, you're going to pass that on. to How many want your children saved and your children's children? Now, I'm not saying that they just came to church one time and they went to, to class. I'm saying that the same spirit that, that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and also in your posterity. How many want that? So let me ask you this. What were you when Jesus found you compared to who you are now? What were you? Now, I mean, what's your story? Really? Anybody got a story? Hey, give me a microphone, Diana. Give me a mic. All right. So I'm flying by the seat of my pants here. So uh, no, I'm not. By the Spirit. So who can tell me what you were and what you are now? Who can tell me? I just... Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to. Becca, run up here. Run up here. Run up here. I haven't got time for everybody. You might think I'm on me. Get over yourself. What were you and what are you now? Um, I was Come over here. Um, I was very angry and bitter. Um, I used to curse a lot of people and even try to fight people. Um, and now I just see people with compassion and love and peace. Spirit of Christ in you, right? Yeah. Set free. Okay. I, anybody know her? Come here. I just go grab a few people up front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, also, uh, my name's Jack. Um, Hi, Jack. Hi, Rick. Uh, Maverick. Um, I was, I was uh, very angry. I was just um, emotionally spewing all over my family with uh, brokenness. <laughs> God healed me, and, uh, and yet I have a lot of compassion now for hearts that are broken. He puts before me. So. Praise Jesus. I don't even have to call Jennifer. She's coming down, okay? What were you? I was abandoned. I just felt like I, my father had to work a lot. 
And God, now I'm not abandoned because my Heavenly Father adopted me. <laughs> thank you, thank you. The good stuff. They're not just making this stuff up, all right? Come on. Is that all I got? Is that all I got? Yeah, come here, Chris. I was, um, I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I was walking in lust, anger. I was a racist. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm telling you, man, if you never experienced change, the person that I was to who I am now, completely different. I mean, I didn't grow up in the church. I was not about Jesus for the first 30 years of my life. I was about everything that's out there in the world. And today, I'm a completely different person because of what he did in my life and in my heart on a daily basis. You are. Completely yeah. different person. Jason? I'm surprised Ruthie didn't grab hold of you and run up with you. Why did you say something, Jason? Uh, I was a man that made a lot of excuses. Um, I made excuses uh, about being a husband, uh, being a father. Give me that. He'll preach. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, pastor said, uh, you know, uh, you, you guys probably went to church because your mom made you. You got baptized because your mom made you. I was that guy. So I grew up making excuses, sexually immoral, couldn't love my wife, couldn't be a father to my children. And... Um, I'm just totally different, man. I, I'm, I'm set free. I can tell you guys the truth. I'm set free. You are? Praise Jesus. I got another brother down here. <laughs> Make sure you, I turn off this mic in a minute, okay? So, but this could be the end of this message. Come on, my brother. Come on, come on, come on. I'm keeping you over here so people can see you in the web. So. My Pete. name is Russell. <laughs> I love you, Russell. Good to see you. I grew up in church uh, all my life, but I did everything opposite of the church. You know, even when I was going to church, I was we went to church every week, Wednesday night services, six o'clock services on Sundays afternoons, and uh, just said we was in church all the time. That's how it was. But when I was outside of church, I did everything that I wanted to do, and I had problems at first because uh, when I was younger, I was real light, and. Uh, and I was too light to be too light to be black and too dark to be white. You know, in other words, I had a. Uh, in other words, I you know I didn't know who I was and where I was and identity, yeah. Identity thing, you know, because uh, when I was with the blacks, you know, I was always you know they didn't want to be with me. When I was with the whites, I knew I didn't want to be there, you know, whatever. And, and, and doing the racial. Wow, <laughs> man, I just. I didn't, know, I didn't know what, what was happening, you know what I mean? I, didn't, I, I really didn't. You know, I had problems there, you know what I mean? I had real problems. Go ahead, Russell. And because I had problems like that and everything, you know, and I was a drug addict for 13 years. I was also a thief, a robber. I was homosexual. I was bisexual. I was, I was just everything that, you know, I just did everything that I, that I could do, you know what I mean? And, every, and, and I still played church. I was in the church, and I... And I did everything right in church, but I did everything wrong outside of the church. And I lived this way for a long time. And uh, it affected my life a whole lot, you know. But, uh, it, Jesus. Uh, you know, but then when I got saved, you know, I mean, even though I knew the Lord a long time ago, uh, and I knew him when I was doing all of this that I was doing, but still, I just couldn't, I just didn't know how to, I couldn't, uh, I really wanted to be with the Lord, but I really wanted to be with outside of the Lord too, you know. 
And uh, I was like Paul in the seventh chapter of Romans, where I wanted to do and I did do right. Yep. But then when it came to do wrong, I did wrong all the time. When it came to do right, I did right all the time. And I did this for a long time. I'm 69 years old, and um, I'm a preacher also now. <laughs> That's for sure. So, you know, but, uh, uh, God, but Jesus saved me one day. He really saved me. Really because I allowed him to come into my life, and I allowed him to. Uh, and every time, and it is true about that little... On the right side, you got Jesus. On the, right, on the back, on the other side, you got the devil. You know, and but now, thank God for Jesus. He's not there no more. That's right. the, the left side is free, and all my whole life is free. And that song we were singing this morning, uh, "Love God, Lifted Me." Love lifted me and everything. Jesus loved me so much that now, that in my life, the love that that He has for me, that love draws me. And it, it, it just stays with me. It's like, a, it's like I'm in a bubble. It's like that he just keeps me, you know what I mean? And regardless of where I go or what I do or whatever, even the urges are nothing like that. They don't have me. They're outside. I see them. And I can even, you know, and they want to affect their flesh. But I, won't, I don't live in the flesh anymore. I live by the Spirit of God. And then it's out and now. I can show the same love because it's not my love anymore. It's really Jesus' love coming through me. Because now I am a vessel, a temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And, and, and wherever I go, I'm carrying Jesus out there. It's not really me. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a vehicle. And my spirit is inside of me. But Jesus' spirit is inside of me that, that keeps me, that captures me, that walks with me, that talks with me, and gives me life Jesus. instead of that death that I had before. And now I don't have to worry about whether I'm black or whether I'm white or whether I am a man of God, and I love the Lord, and I know the, love, the Lord loves me. So when we talk about that shame, and that was really a big thing in my life, about you know that shame in my life, because uh, I really didn't want to be, uh, I wanted to show Jesus, but I really didn't want to show him like he really didn't want to show him. In other words, I just wanted to put on yep. that. You understand what I'm saying? But then, but now, I am free. Amen. You know, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last, as Martin Luther King said. I'm free at last. Free at last, thank God. I'm free at last. You know what I mean? And I can do all things now through Christ who strengthened me. So every day, and every moment of the day, every minute of the day, I look to him to strengthen me. And because I can't do it on my own. I can never do it on my own. I help you with need this. him. There you go. <laughs> I need him. And I need a savior. And I need a redeemer. And I, and I have one. Thank God for it. Praise God. Russell, that was powerful. So you set me up, my brother. Um, because he talked about shame. I mean, I couldn't have given a better illustration than what Russell just shared. Amen. You agree? Amen. Uh, do I have time? Of course I do. I'm the preacher. <laughs> An equation to remove your shame. We're going to change your identity here, okay? Remember, ultimately you're at a war within yourself. How are you going to keep that testimony. Because how many know Satan will bring up your past and try to shame you? And here's some of the thoughts. If people actually knew you. Anybody been there? Look, you can preach 
and feel like a hypocrite. Uh, I can. I have. Anybody ever felt that way before? You can testify and feel like you can lead worship. Anybody? You know what I'm saying? So all of your activities. Here's, here's the deal. Satan loves to attack us with shame. If someone asked you today, uh, could you recognize uh, the spirit of Christ in your life? Or would you struggle so much with shame that you would, you would vacillate back and forth in your testimony? Shame is real. We live in a culture that's struggling with shame. In fact, the topic of shaming, uh, evidently people can shame you. Okay, I'm going to help you with that topic. I'm going to fix it. I know it's, it's like the cause. Well, somebody shame me this way. They, you know, all, all of this kind of stuff that people say. We should be, we, we should not be publicly shaming one another, I guess. But here's, here's our, our, our way of dealing with it. Uh, you see, if I have dealt with shame in my heart, it doesn't matter what you say to me. People can't shame me if I know who I am in the Lord Jesus. Now, here's something else. One of the reasons people can shame you is because there's already shame inside of you. And it is, unless your life changes, you will be so busy covering up those things that need to change inside of you that when people say it, you will begin to transfer your pain to them. The reason I feel shame is because of you. No. The reason I feel shame is because of what's going on inside of me. Am I preaching? Here's, here's some types of shame we constantly deal with. Fear of exposure and intimacy. Uh, you, you're, you're afraid of someone finding out who you really are. This is kind of like the fig leaf story with Adam and Eve. Uh, uh, that they wanted to cover up uh, their sin. Never feeling like you do well enough. Anybody been there before? Doesn't matter. I just, you know, I'm such a mess. You're, you're driven by, but, but you're driven by per perfectionism and performance. Some, that's something I've had to overcome. I, anybody with me on that? Being devastated by criticism. I'm not, I'm not saying being bothered by criticism because most of us don't like criticism. I'm talking about when cri criticism disables you. Somebody says something to you and it stops you right there. You're dealing with extremes of bitterness and rage and compliance and pleasing people. In other words, I'm talking about in one day or in one hour, we go from a range of, of being just enraged against people who make us feel bad about ourselves. You just move back and forth. You vacillate. And then we turn around and try to please everyone. So you go from, you go from the rage to, i got to please everybody, just moving back and forth. Now, I'm not saying that we just care about what other people think. I'm saying it's why you live your life and so you cannot bear criticism. And that has to do with shame. Another, uh, another uh, evidence of shame is being primarily motivated by fear. The fear of failure, the fear of rejection. You may actually underperform in order to avoid the risk. I don't want to do things too well. You think being successful would actually position me for the possibility of failure. And then when people see me failing, it would bring shame into my life because people would see who I really am. Self-hatred and self-deprecation. Does that make sense to anybody? You feel bad about yourself and you're always cutting yourself down. That's just the way it is. You don't need anybody to criticize you because you are your own worst critic. Measuring your value and that of others by how well you perform. You measure your value and what others and that of others by how well you perform 
We, we all want to do our best and we all want to perform well, but, but when our, self, our, our self-esteem should be measured in other terms. And, and seven, just rejecting or not associating with others who don't measure up. I can't hang out with you. You're just not good enough. These are some of the ways that we see ourselves when we're motivated by shame. And I want you to know that almost all of us have these things going on. In fact, I believe that every person has shame in their lives to some extent. We need to deal with it. This was the original thing that came into existence at the fall of man. Shame. Anybody remember that? Uh, Adam and Eve were ashamed. Now, Now remember, shame came into the world through Satan. Shame is sin's effect on your self-identity. I feel shame because I can't look at myself. Shame is not guilt. Guilt is judicial. Shame is relational. I can't get close to you. I can't look at God. I can't stand in His presence. The work of Christ is to remove our guilt and shame. Because Satan cannot operate successfully unless an atmosphere of shame is present. Satan doesn't care if you're guilty or not. If he can steal your identity as saved by the grace of God. And, able to, and, 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 and steal your identity as being able to, to stand in his presence. So I want to I see how God has dealt with shame. So, so God has been dealing with this since, from the beginning. I, I, I don't have a lot of time before second service starts. So uh, Leviticus... Uh, chapter 16 is the story on the Day of Atonement. Every single year, uh, the children of Israel were directed to receive atonement from God, and God would atone for their sins with two goats. Anybody remember this? Two goats. Not one goat. Two goats. Everybody says, but Jesus is the lamb, takes away the, the, the sin of the world. Yes, he is, but he's also a goat. Did you know that? So two goats. Uh, God told Aaron, take these two goats, cast lots, and the one on which the Lord's lot falls, bring him into the tabernacle, sacrifice him. But there's a second goat. So their sins are forgiven, but then there's something else that needs to be done. On the other goat, he says, I want Aaron to lay his hands on the head of this goat and pronounce over this goat all the sins and transgressions, transgressions of, of, of Israel. Every single sin and transgression is going to be pronounced upon this goat and this goat is going to carry, is going, is going to then carry those sins. And a man will take this goat in the sight of Israel, take that goat out, of the, uh, out into an uninhabited place, a wilderness, and that goat will bear the sins of Israel away from all the people. So it would seem that it took two goats to atone to the sin of Israel. The second goat was not about the sin. The second goat was about the shame. So it's one thing to be forgiven. It's something else to be released of the shame of your past. Anybody with me? You know what I'm saying? God didn't want shame in the camp. He wanted the children of Israel to know not only had they been forgiven, but God had forgotten about the sin. God doesn't want shame in any way affecting their self-esteem, their relationships with each other, or their relationship with him. So God has a visual symbol of shame being taken out of the camp. God has not only taken care of our sin, God also takes care of our shame. Why? Because we cannot function as the people of God when shame still reigns in our life. And again, it's one thing to know that we've been forgiven, but it's an entirely different thing to know that we have no shame before God. 
And, and I've got some good news. You ready? Jesus is your scapegoat. Jesus is my scapegoat. Jesus isn't just the Lamb of God who took away our sin. He's our scapegoat. Jesus has taken away all of our shame. And let me tell you the wonderful thing about God. God not only forgives your sin, He forgets them. Anybody want to praise God for that? I mean, He is the God. When you go back and ask forgiveness for it again, the reason you ask forgiveness for the same sin over and over is because of shame. God says, what sin are you talking about? I already forgave you. Why do you have shame over something that I have released you from? This will cause you to look at Isaiah 53 differently. You know that he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. If you you look down in verse 6, he says this, And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So if you look at Isaiah 53 and 6, we know that that goat is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, All of our sins were pronounced upon Jesus and he became our scapegoat. And in the presence of the world, God didn't just heal us of our sin issue. He healed us of our shame issue at the same time. So we can be completely free of our sin. This is the story in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. We hear the first man, Adam, and the second man, Adam. It's interesting that that man went to a tree and brought shame into the world. Right? Right? The first man, Adam, he went to the tree and he took fruit of it and he ate of it and brought shame into the world. And he was, what happened to Adam and Eve after they brought, they were shamed. They were led out into the wilderness and could not come back into the presence of God in the garden. Right? But then Jesus Christ, what happened? Jesus Christ, hallelujah. Jesus Christ went to a tree, the cross of the Lord Jesus, and our shame was placed upon Him, and He took it to the grave. He took it to a place of death never to be remembered against us. So so here's the equation for overcoming shame. All right? Number one, get naked. Not right now. It's spiritual nakedness. Spiritual nakedness. All right? We can be who we really are in the presence of Jesus. Jesus didn't have a problem with people who were sinners and were honest about it. Has a problem with people who were sinners and are not honest about it. That's why he was constantly busting on the scribes and the Pharisees. Because they were all out there saying, we keep the law and we do this law and this law and this law. And he said, and, and in fact, Isaiah says that righteousness is like filthy rags. It's like, it's like bandages that covered up the wounds of a leper. And in and, and 1 John chapter 1, this is the message, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. That his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all, all unrighteousness. Stop. Come on. We need to be spiritually naked. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I don't pretend to be something that I am not. I am a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Listen, Adam and Eve could not hide from God with fig leaves. How many know God has x-ray vision? Anybody know that? 
You cannot, no, no matter what kind of righteousness you try to cover yourself up with, stop lying. Not only have I sinned, but I, have, I live in a constant issue of not measuring up. I have failed him, and sometimes I do it too regularly. I'm going to stop playing games and walk into his presence and tell him what is going on in my life. Jesus. See, the apostle Paul was raised to be a pretender. In 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about this. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. There was something that kept him from being the person he wanted to be, and God said, no. Remember, Paul said, I got a thorn in my flesh. It's a good idea not to pretend anymore. You see what I'm saying? I keep bringing it to Jesus. Come on. Go ahead and jump into the lap of God with all of your mess today. I need God the most when I feel like I don't deserve him. Jesus. See, shame says get your act together and then you can go to God. Well, I can't get my act together. That's why I need to go to him. Okay. Spiritual nakedness plus taking responsibility. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Adam, step, stop it. You need to step up and be a big boy. Sure, you had some influencers, but you, hey, you made a choice out of your sinful nature, and now you're living in shame. If you don't take responsibility for your behavior and you don't trust Jesus for your forgiveness, you will find a scapegoat and it will not work. Come on, stop looking for your own scapegoats. You keep looking for someone to blame and you mess up your marriage, you mess up your kids, you mess up your parents. It's my brothers, it's my sisters, it's my church, it's the government, it's my home. Come on, you try to blame the pastor and the worship leader, you try to blame the principal, your friends, your teacher, your boss. Come on, you're open to telling about your sin, but you pass the responsibility. I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for them. I wouldn't have done it for them. My parents, the government is not the problem. Sin is my problem. The only scapegoat that God recognizes is Jesus. And until we take responsibility and realize it's me, it's me, it's me, you will lay them on someone else. And guess what? They were just as broken as you were. Plus, three, faith in Jesus to forgive you and remove your shame. How do you know that you're forgiven? 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess. Confess. It means uh, to say the same things that God says. Psalms 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Verse 11, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward us who fear him. As far as the east is from the west so far, he has removed our our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Come on. We don't have the ability that God has to forgive and forget. 
so, so what you must understand is you've got to put your faith in the Lord Jesus. He is a good, good Father. He puts our sin as far away as the east is from the west. And when you tell him about it again, he says, what are you talking about? You are favored. You are loved. Come into my presence. The opposite, the opposite of that is the person who always reminds you of it. Remember your moral failure? Remember your abortion? Remember the time that you stole? Remember when you used to... Listen, God forgives and God forgets it. It's over. Come on. You never did it. You are free. You are free. I am free. Praise the living God. I am free. And then, Plus, got to get rid of shame. This is hard work. A firm stand against the enemy. Friday morning, Diane and I got up and we were reading Ephesians 6 together. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And and then he says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shot your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. How many have read this before? Take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I love that. But they are not actually helmets and shields. These are spiritual things. And the enemy doesn't actually shoot a physical dart at you. The enemy's task is to disempower you. And you have to refuse that spirit of shame and condemnation. And he will use people, situations, whatever he can to cause you to feel that with all that the scripture says, if people really knew you, they would realize that you are a hypocrite and they wouldn't want to sit with you. Come on. Shame, 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 shame. You know, today you can be held accountable for something that you did years and years ago. Can I get an amen? That's our culture because we are now living in the culture of the law of sin and death. Somebody thank God that Jesus forgave you for what you used to be. Anybody? Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation. Fight the enemy with the word of God. I have no condemnation. I am in Christ Jesus. I love Revelation chapter 12. I heard a loud voice saying saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused him before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Do you hear what you did today? And by the word of your testimony. How do we overcome Satan? We do it by the blood of Jesus Christ and we keep testifying. We keep telling our story. I may not be what you want me to be, but I am not what I used to be and I am not shamed by yesterday I am saved by Jesus Christ Satan tries to condemn you and shame you when you hear the thoughts of shame in your mind start praising Jesus for his blood come on nothing but the blood of Jesus saying oh the blood of Jesus saying there is power power wonder working power in the blood saying with Kim Walker Smith I still believe your blood is sufficient for me and I believe it no matter what anybody else says Satan hates the blood of Jesus everybody stand with me everybody, everybody stand with me when you're feeling shame and condemnation you are, you, you are experiencing the work of the devil and demonic power. This is a stronghold in your mind. You've got to take it captive. Here, plus, here's my final plus. Here's your equation. 
Spiritual nakedness, taking responsibility, plus faith in Jesus to forgive you and remove your shame, plus a firm stand against the enemy, plus total forgiveness. How many believe Jesus has forgiven you? Okay, now it's not, this is not going to work unless you forgive everybody else. See, so why am I still living in shame? Because you can't live in wholeness when you have forgiven, been forgiven by Jesus, but you won't forgive others. Forgive every person who has hurt you or has been used to produce shame in your life. Forgive people. People can shame you even if you're forgiven. And you know who you are in Christ. If you want to overcome spiritual shaming, you have to forgive totally. Somebody say it. Forgive. forgive. Now shout totally. totally. Now I'm, I'm going there. You may have been abused. You may have been publicly embarrassed. God will never administer more forgiveness upon you than you will administer to others. Does anybody receive what I just said to you? You say, no, 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 no. He actually says this. When he teaches us on the Lord's Prayer, he says, and forgive us our sins, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then Jesus stops. He says, I want to teach you more prayer, but I need to stop right here. And he says, because if you don't forgive, then I can't forgive you. That's what he said to the disciples when he appeared to them behind closed doors. He breathed on them and said, receive my spirit. He set them free. Come on, you got to forgive people. Listen, I'm standing here before you. I forgive the man who sexually abused me when I was a boy. I forgive him. Somebody said, well, I don't understand how you can do that. Look, I don't want him to babysit my grandson because he needs to get set free. But I forgive him. I'm not carrying his sin inside of me. And if I don't forgive him, I'll live in shame for what that man did to me the rest of my life. Does that make sense to anybody? Anybody receiving that? Somebody say, forgive. forgive. Totally. totally. This equals freedom from shame. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Say it again. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Okay, so who in this room would say, Pastor Rick, I've been struggling with shame in my life. I live with a certain amount of shame and I know God wants to set me free. Where are you? Wave at me, wave at me, wave at me. I'm struggling with shame, I'm struggling with shame. Now run down here, run down here and stand with me. Okay, so just so you know, these people who are coming right now have really committed some bad sins. And you need to get over it. Because God doesn't want to use you to shame any of these people. I want you all to know that God has set you free completely from your sin. As you confess your sin, His Spirit comes into your life. Jesus becomes the scapegoat. Some of you can't even come up here because shame is that tough. It's tough. I ain't living my hand. I don't want anybody to know I got shame in my life. It's tough. That hypocrisy is tough to manage, isn't it? But God wants to set you free. He who the Son sets free is free. How? Indeed completely totally I love you all may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face shine upon you may the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace would you put your arm gently around somebody nearby you or take them by the hand could I have my altar team to come and stand with these who are here some of my altar team's actually up here that is so cool okay Come and stand with these. Come and stand with them. Come on, altar team, wherever you are, prayer warriors, workers.
pray somebody. And here's what we're going to do. Just pray with me, okay? Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the cross. I believe in Jesus, that he is the Lord. Some of you can't even talk right now, okay? I, I get that. Say it. I believe in Jesus, that he is the Lord, that he died for me. He died for my sin. My shame was placed upon his head. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my sin. I confess my sin to you. Now, some of you might need to take a while and talk to him about it. But get honest. Even when you fail God, I know you're saved, but if you fail God, go back and talk to Jesus about it. All right? Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sin and forgetting my sin. I also give you my shame so that this sin will eternally never be brought up. I thank you for my justification because you rose from the dead. I am just as if I had never sinned. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Now, just as you stand there, pray for the person next to you. Father, release them from shame. Release them from shame. When we pray for one another, we're also doing spiritual warfare. That's what we're doing. Holy Spirit, come rest upon these who have come for prayer. I pray that you would bless our brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, rest upon us in the holy name of Jesus. Complete your good work of removing our shame. We thank you, Jesus, for being our scapegoat. We release all of our sin upon you. We thank you, Jesus. We're not going to have another sleepless night because of the past. We're going to rest peacefully because of our future. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you. God bless you all. Be dismissed when you can. I know that people are already here for second service, so uh, I'm not telling you to leave fast, but bye. I love you all. God bless you all. Y'all pray. Stay in pray. Stay in pray. Seek the Lord.